Thank you for tuning in to the Career Exploration Podcast, brought to you by Northeast Ohio Medical University's College of Pharmacy. You're listening to the Career Exploration Podcast for future and current pharmacists. We're glad you're here, and we're looking forward to introducing you to some of the many career paths available for pharmacists. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Neomed Pharmacy Career Exploration Podcast. On this episode, we interview Dr. John Moorman. John is a senior content management consultant at Walters Kluwer Lexicomp. Prior to taking this position, John worked as a shared faculty member at Neomed, where he was an associate professor, and he was also a pharmacotherapy specialist in endocrinology at the Cleveland Clinic Akron General. It was interesting to learn about John's career path to this new position and what he finds most rewarding and even what his typical day looks like. I hope you enjoy the conversation and learn a little bit more about this unique pharmacy career path. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Pharmacy Career Exploration Podcast. Uh, We're so excited to have our guest today, Dr. John Mormon, who is a senior content management consultant at Wolters Kluwer Lexicomp. In this role, he maintains professional referential drug content related to endocrinology, including collaboration with up-to-date editors. He also acts as the lead referential editor for LexiCalc, as well as clinical lead for LexiComp's Inclusive Language Committee. And just for those who aren't familiar with what LexiComp is, uh, it is one of the most widely used resources that pharmacists use uh, to look up drug information. So uh, kind of a big deal, for sure. <laughs> uh, prior to this, uh, Dr. Mormon held a shared position as pharmacotherapy specialist in endocrinology at the Cleveland Clinic Akron General and was uh, an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at Northeast Ohio Medical University. His clinical experience includes direct patient care uh, in inpatient ambulatory care and care transition settings. His academic experience includes acting as a preceptor and research advisor to pharmacy and medicine students, uh, as well as residents, uh, and providing didactic lectures in the areas of diabetes, hyperglycemia, crisis, adrenal pituitary disorders, osteoporosis, and uh, biostatistics. He holds board certification in pharmacotherapy through the Board of Pharmacy Specialties, and he is an active member of the Educational Programming Committee for the American College of Clinical Pharmacy's Endocrine and Metabolism Practice Research Network. So quite a bit of a history. a lot of information (laughs) there, yeah. It is a lot of information. So you've been through a lot and I can't wait to to, to get through it and and talk about kind of how you got to where you are today. Um, So, and again, thanks for for joining us. Yeah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for inviting me and for the introduction. Appreciate it. It's nice to see you again. I I work with Dr. Mormon previously as chaired faculty. So it's nice to see him again. And I'm not trying to, you know, say anything, but Dr. Mormon taught me as a student. Uh, and I learned a lot, right? I'm, I'm not going to say my hope so. He's an expert, but I definitely learned a lot about You can uh, test diabetes. his knowledge right now That'd if you want to ask him some questions. <laughs> oh, God, no. I should have said that. <laughs> All right. So, Dr. Mormon, since you actually graduated uh, pharmacy school in 2009, so tell me about your journey from once you graduated to kind of how where you got to today. Sure. So, yeah, I graduated in 2009. And right after graduation, I joined a residency program in Akron, Ohio. So, at at the time, it was Akron General Medical Center before it was part of the Cleveland Clinic and did a year of just general residency. So I went into residency, actually made a last minute decision to do that. Um, but I went in thinking I wanted to do cardiology, critical care, and I came out of the other end doing ambulatory care diabetes. So interesting, um, mainly working with patients with diabetes and working in a, a physician's office. So as I started um, kind of getting more comfortable and getting more established at the hospital, after the first couple of years, I had been working with an endocrinologist. 
So um, that physician was um, seeing a lot of other patients who didn't have diabetes. And I was becoming more interested in those disease states and ended up just falling in love with the whole field of endocrinology. And so I started asking um, the endocrinologist, you know, can I start seeing more of your patients? And she's like, of course. So (laughs) I'll take all the help I can get. And so I expanded my role a little bit into um, the inpatient side, working with um, all types of patients with different endocrine disorders. Uh, you mentioned a few earlier, um, a lot of patients with thyroid diseases and that. So I sort of created my own position in endocrinology by doing that. Mm-hmm. And then also at the same time, I was, as you mentioned, a shared faculty here at Neomed. So I was teaching um, some lectures here and there, mostly diabetes again, but then eventually expanded into endocrinology on this side too. Um, and then um, after about 10 years of working in a shared position, an opportunity came up to work at Lexicomp. Um, before I started there, it was in November 2019 when I took this, the, my current position. I had been doing some consulting work for Lexicomp for about four or five years um, while I was in practice. So they would ask me specific questions about what I was doing in practice and what I was seeing with my patients. And as I built that relationship up with them, um, eventually a position opened up in endocrinology that I was able to interview for. And now here I am. Interesting. And, yeah. yeah. And so, and even in the short time I've been, um, it's actually been two years. It doesn't seem like it with all we've been going through the past couple of years. Right, but, right. Um, I ended up taking a couple other roles on with, you mentioned the inclusive language group, and then also with our um, calculator um, mm-hmm. solutions that we have. Yeah. So it seems like a lot of your experiences up until now kind of led you to this position with, with Lexicomp, uh, which is pretty awesome. And I can't wait for you to kind of tell our audience and we'll get into it a little bit more, but to tell our audience about what exactly it is that you do. So yeah. Yeah. Before we get into that, Just knowing that you came from the clinician educator role and moved into this role, if you could tell us a little bit about about what that transition process looked like, or maybe were the rewarding portions of that career path or were there challenges that you came across? And if you could kind of talk a little bit about that transition, because I have a feeling a lot of people that have a position like yours probably have a very similar career path. So what does that look like? Yeah. A lot of um, my colleagues I work with now um, went through the same sort of things that I went through. So as you're in, as I was in practice, I ended up um, really being passionate about helping patients out and being able to sit in front of a patient and talk to them, get them to understand their medication or what was going on with them. And also being a preceptor and teaching students, I, I got to see students growing through um, their professional career. And when this position came up, it was a, a real decision I had to sit down and think about, is this something I'm willing to give up? Um, because I know in, in my current role, I don't do any teaching and I don't sit down in front of patients anymore. So I had to think through and ask myself, okay, well, what am I going to be doing in my current position to help people? And so when I'm working through the drug monographs and, and the different things in our content, I know that I'm actually affecting hundreds of thousands of professionals mm-hmm. and students potentially just yeah. through the things that I'm doing now. So it's, it's definitely a trade-off. I do right. miss the one-on-one interactions, but um, the trade-off is now I can kind of say, well, I have a little bit more reach, I think now than I did before potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's interesting. That's the way I would think about it too. I've done some formulary work before, which is deciding, you know, which medications a hospital will stock and use. And I always felt the same thing. It's I'm reaching a lot more patients by doing some of this work than perhaps I even did when I was up on the floor working with internal medicine physicians. So Yeah. And yeah, and that's a really unique perspective actually that now that you kind of say that it's it's very true. You are you're you're reaching a lot more patients, but in indirectly, right? So so kind of going uh with that. So 
you know, a pharmacist who doesn't have direct patient care roles, right? So that's, that's interesting, right? I think a lot of our, especially prospective students are gonna be like, what do you mean a pharmacist who doesn't have direct patient care roles? Like that's, that's weird. So I've been waiting to ask you this, but what is a typical day look like for you, right? So in your current job with, with Lexicomp, what does a typical day look like? What exactly do you do? Enlighten us on what it is that you do. Sure. And I'll, I'll lay it out in more of a typical week because sure. uh, yeah, that's good. there's a lot of different things that end up going on. So my current role, yeah, I don't see patients anymore. So I'm in um, a position where I'm primarily doing a lot of research, um, of evaluating literature. So I do a lot of reading journal articles or when a guideline comes out, I'll review those. And I also work a lot with some of my colleagues over at UpToDate, which is another company under Walters Kluwer that are primarily physician-based. And they write more of a review type of a topic that you would read. And then there's some drug information in there too. Mm-hmm. So we sort of work together a, a lot throughout the week. So. I'll have, instead of having a day where maybe I, I know I have a, in practice, I have a list of patients I need to go see for the day. And I know mm-hmm. I need to go see those patients. Um, instead, I have these projects that I have going on. So it's more long-term project management that okay. I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So instead of having something I can check off the box for the day, mm-hmm. it's something I can check off the box for the month mm-hmm. or potentially for the quarter. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot more um, thinking ahead and working on a lot of different things at once. Okay. So, but from the typical day to day, I'll get up. Um, the first thing I'll do is go through my emails. I'll get a lot of notifications from different medical journals that new mm-hmm. articles got published. And so I'll read, I'll skim through some of those to see if there's anything that stands out that I need to react to. And then otherwise I'm working through if there's um, new literature that I'm reviewing or there's a new drug that's been approved. I'm reviewing the literature to try to figure out if I need to update what's in our content or if I need to add something new or if maybe it's a completely brand new drug and I'm starting from scratch at some point. So um, that's the typical work day. I also have a lot more collaboration with uh, physicians too. So um, I've mentioned up to date, the physician editor. So I'll have meetings with them throughout the week. I have one primary physician that I, I typically work with who's also an endocrine specialist. And when I see a new article, a major article that gets published or a new use for a drug or something, then I'll end up usually getting on the phone with her on over, you know, through our web conference or I'll send her an email and say, Hey, what did you think about this? Are you going to update something in your topics? If so, you know, I was thinking about doing this. And so we'll collaborate that way and try to um, come up with the same, at least come to some of the same conclusions where we're putting some of the same things in both of our content pieces. So a lot of interprofessional collaboration. Yeah, um, which is not different than working in a pharmacy. So it's just a different role. Yeah, exactly. You're 100% right. So so you're sifting through the, the most recent, the freshest data that's kind of being produced. And you're making the lives of other pharmacists and other healthcare providers much easier. Very by much compiling, easier. Right? <laughs> by compiling all this data into one sort of website, one resource, whatever you want to kind of call it, uh, for us to kind of go to and look up that information. And so we sent you a million thank yous yes. for your time doing that and making our job so much easier. For those of you who don't know, this is what, as a pharmacist, I was using at the bedside to make right. quick decisions. So it's so relied upon. So yes, definitely thank you. Yeah, you're very <laughs> so it's, um, it's a lot different than some of the other career paths that we've talked about on the podcast so far. So I would like to know, what do you feel the biggest rewards or advantages are of working in a job like this? Yeah, there's a few. So from a, I'll call it a clinical standpoint. Um, 
I mentioned a little bit before about just being able to help a lot of people at once. So one of the things I enjoyed doing when I was still in practice was giving presentations and teaching students. So in order to do that, you have to be able to take a lot of information and try to figure out what are the most important points you need to come across either to the patient or to the the providers I'm working with or to the students I'm teaching. And so one of the things that I still get to do is actually do the same thing. I get all this literature and all of these opinions and studies that are out there. And I try to say, okay, what does everyone need to know? And how can I write it in something that's not, you know, a whole research article? How do I get this done in two or three lines? Yeah, that's hard. And um, that's one of the most rewarding things is if I can actually do that and Mm -hmm. assimilate all this information down into something that clinicians can use. Um, but other things is just as far as the job itself, you know, it's, um, it's something that's rewarding because I work with a lot of people, again, are very collaborative. So I get to still have that collaborative working with other people and coming up with ideas together, um, was something I enjoy doing in practice. Um, just from a, a personal standpoint, just having uh, young children and that, you know, I, I have a little bit more flexibility, um, in my work than I used to, cause I do work from home at this point. Okay. Um, that wasn't the plan when I first took the job, but that's kind of what we were all faced with. And right. I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where I can continue to work from home and be productive. And mm-hmm. yeah, so that's, that's one of the other things just from a, a personal standpoint. Yeah, that's great. That's a pharmacist gets to work from home. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) So then let's do the flip side. What what would you consider challenging about the job? Yeah. So again, working from home was challenging. (laughs) With young children. (laughs) Yes, I have a a four and a six year old at home. So that's not always the simplest thing. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, But um, just from a a standpoint of being able to juggle multiple projects at once, Mm -hmm. you know, I mentioned I'm involved with uh, a few different things. So sometimes those can be competing um, priorities. So that's one thing that I think you have to just in a position like this where you're managing multiple projects. And that's true for a lot of different areas in pharmacy is you just have to be able to prioritize, be able to keep yourself on task, Mm -hmm. being able to say no to certain things when you know you're not going to be able to meet whatever demands or whatever request is being made of you. Mm -hmm. So those are the things I think I've had to do more often in this job, though, just because there's so many different projects that you could get involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, just being able to sort of tone that down and say, okay, you know, I, I like all of these different options, but let me just get the priority stuff done before I start moving on to something else. Right. It's hard to say no sometimes it is, if yeah. it's exciting and yeah, it's yes, all it is. in your area of interest too, which can make it difficult. Now, a lot of different deadlines. Do you find that you can make some of those deadlines yourself or are those deadlines given to you? The students might be interested mm-hmm. in, you know, how much flexibility with those projects do you have? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, some of that comes down to me reading if it's a new recommendation, okay, how much of a change is this? Is this something that's a major change that I need to get out right now? Mm-hmm. Or is it something that, oh, this would be nice to know, but it's not really practice changing. It's just an, another detail that might be helpful to some people. Um, and so it, there's a lot of that sort of self-prioritization, but there's also some major things that our company um, wants to get done and needs to get done that um, end up making the priority list sort of for me in those okay. cases. Mm-hmm. So I have these long-term milestones um, throughout the year that I want to get done by the end of the year. So it's up to me to create my schedule around that to make sure I meet those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like uh, a ton of autonomy there, sort of, right? So you kind of come up with, you know, sort of like your own schedule and you prioritize your own tasks and stuff like that, right? Because mm-hmm. I know when I transitioned from community practice to, to academia, it was actually a really difficult transition for me, it right? Can be, yeah. Right, it because be. it was like, you know, in, in community practice, all your work gets done from this time to this time when you're there, right? I'm there from nine to nine and all, you know, all of my responsibilities are going to get done at that time. And, and you can't that's take it. it home. You can't take it home. Exactly. When you transition to academia, it's like, oh, wait, 
Hmm. I could leave work in the middle of the day if I really you needed had to. to. If, if I had, had to. If you had to. You know, if I, if I have to, I can leave work, right? Or I could come in a little bit late if I have to or stay a little bit late. And so then, <laughs> to be honest, when I first joined this, I was finding myself doing a lot of work in the evenings and, and on right, the weekends, right? right. So uh, obviously, it's been a few years and I've, I've learned better <laughs> to do that. But so how do you kind of stay on task and how do you stay focused uh, given all this autonomy? Yeah, that was a big learning moment for me in this job was Mm -hmm. um, not only being in a new position, but then two or three months after starting is now you're working from home and you're really on your own Mm -hmm. and making your schedule. And so um, a couple of things that I learned as far as from working from home is I have a a distinct space that I work in. Mm -hmm. So um, I get dressed for work just as if if I was going to the office, Mm -hmm. I go into my basement where I have my office set up, you know, turn my computer on, get my work done for the day. And then when I'm done, I turn my computer off and it stays off. Mm -hmm. Um, If I were to carry my laptop around with me and just kind of intermittently do work throughout the day, I don't think I would ever turn my computer off. Yeah. That's a challenge. Yeah. So just having that sort of set schedule of, and and the ritual of actually getting ready for work as if I was going to the office has helped Mm -hmm. a lot. And also um, I've utilized some resources like, um, LinkedIn and that where they have project management courses that I took, which are just free online mm-hmm. um, to great. actually help with some of these. How do you actually manage a lot of long-term projects where a lot of different people have input um, mm-hmm. where it's not just me sitting down and writing something. This is something where I'll write. And then a lot of other people need to touch that before it gets done. So mm-hmm. if I don't get it done, then no- nothing else is getting done on the other ends either. Right. So just kind of learning some good habits for that and also just learning how do I keep myself organized to make sure that I hit all those deadlines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When they're really long-term projects like that, like for the current students, they're thinking about, you know, if they have a particular experience at a hospital for a month, you know, they'll start projects, but they're finished in a month. So they, it's hard to relate to that, but you're thinking of like, you're talking about projects that are like month long projects or quarterly long. Some of my projects are quarterly long or even up to six months. Yeah. So you have to be disciplined. You have to maintain, you know, work ethic, to stay on task or you could get to the end of the quarter and project's not finished. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To put it into perspective for um, pharmacy students, you'll understand probably what a journal club is <laughs> or for e- even like a book report or, or something similar to that. So imagine your teacher or your professor saying that you have 70 book reports <laughs> that you have to do by the end of the year. And that's the only direction they give you. So you have right. to figure out a way to manage your time throughout the year. And no one's going to be keeping on top of you to make sure you're getting it done. Mm-hmm. You can't get to the second to last day and be like, oh, I still have 68 of those. Yeah. To do. <laughs> <laughs> and have the clinical expertise as well as to be able to say this is the top priority. Or yeah. This is going to be done next. And perhaps this one can be put on the back burner because it's not quite as important for my audience. Yeah, that's, yep. that's a lot of responsibility. Uh, so yeah, a lot of pros and cons here, right? So I'm hearing a lot of pros and cons. So there's good because you have all this autonomy, but it's also bad because you have all this autonomy. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, definitely a double-edged sword. It depends right. on who you are and you know, how you manage that situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. awesome. So, so tell us, what is something uh, about your job that might surprise a lot of our listeners? Yeah, I, I think I touched on it a little bit, but just the amount of collaboration that goes on. Mm-hmm. When I first thought about the job, even when I was working as a consultant, I, I worked with a couple people that would ask me some questions and I sort of assumed that it was those two making decisions about you know what went into the content. But in reality, there's probably no less than 20 people that end up touching any wow. of the edits that I would do. Oh, wow. Um, it, from going back and forth, if I get, let's say, a simple edit for one of my drugs, let's say it's metformin, which is a common drug used for diabetes, um, and I want to edit something about the dose, well, I'm probably going to ask a couple other people um, that I work with to make sure, hey, what do you think about this? Does this match kind of what you're reading into this? And maybe that crosses into other disease states. I mentioned I work with endocrinology, but there's a whole other 
um, a whole other group of people that are working with different conditions like kidney problems or liver problems or what have you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these disease states touch a lot of those other conditions. So I may want to reach out for opinions on from some of these other people who are um, maybe this drug is used in someone with kidney problems. Well, I want to get the opinion of the the professionals that are working with those disorders often. And then there's also editors that we work with that are non-clinical editors. There's uh, people who work in patient education that this is going to affect. I work with some nurses that do that. Um, I mentioned the physician editors. I want to make sure that I'm reading it as a pharmacist the same way or a similar way that a physician might be reading it because mm-hmm. we probably have different reasons for going to these resources. Yeah, never thought of that. That's important. And then if it goes into the calculators, I have to talk to the um, information technology people to make sure that you know what I'm asking them to do makes sense and mm-hmm. is actually going to be displaying to the users the way that mm-hmm. um, it's meant to. Yeah. So there's a lot of different collaboration that I think um, when you read a monograph, you don't see that. No, you just see the words you that don't see that. You're yeah. Right. yeah. And so, so what I'm hearing is it's important to keep in mind the patient as a whole. So again, we're it's indirect patient care, but you're still keeping in mind the patient as a whole because you're working with folks who who focus on other organ systems, right? So you mentioned maybe the, uh, nephrology and the kidneys and maybe cardiovascular and, and things like that. So it's important to keep the patient in mind as a whole, not just be so focused on on your lane. Right. And yeah. you also have to keep in mind the the mindset of the person, the user who's looking mm-hmm. at the content. So if it's a patient, you mentioned, um, we want to make sure we're being clear on what we're saying, but if we have the same drug and a nurse versus a physician versus a pharmacist is looking at that, they all have different reasons. Mm-hmm. So if the physician has a patient in front of them, they want to know, okay, well, what can I do to treat this patient? Um, they may go into the up-to-date topic and read, and they see a couple links to drugs. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to click into the monograph to see what the dose is. Mm-hmm. Um, versus a pharmacist wants to know what all the drug interactions are, what the correct dose is. Mm-hmm. Um, is this the right dose for this right indication? Right. And then when it gets to the bedside in say a hospital setting, a nurse is going to be administering that drug. So they want to know how do I administer this? How do I prepare this? Can I store this? How mm-hmm. long does it last? Um, so there's all different. So we have to make sure we're, we're speaking to all of the different providers in the same sort of drug monograph that yeah. we all have. So know, know your audience. Know your audience yeah. is a yeah, good, yeah, that's yeah. a good line. Yeah. Interesting. Important. Right. Yeah. Now I don't think we scared all the students off with the 70 journal club. I, <laughs> I, think, I think we probably have some that are thinking this is really interesting. So the question I have for you is what kind of student do you think would do well in this type of career path? Yeah. I think a student who definitely enjoys, um, again, literature review. So you, you kind of have to like that. <laughs> you Otherwise, have to like journal club. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not the journal club process, but at least be interested in answering questions like that. Yeah. And being willing to sort of do some extra digging to try to find an answer. Um, there's a lot of areas in literature that don't have a good answer, but maybe we can get something close or we can find something, a reason not to do something when we're actually digging for that. We think that we want to answer one question, then we end up asking five more as we're mm-hmm. doing that research. So someone who actually en- enjoys that process and someone who is... Um, Self-driven, I think. Um, I mentioned having the autonomy. So you have to have some sort of self-drive to um, be able to keep yourself on task and keep yourself honest with what your priorities are. Mm-hmm. And I think also someone who works well with a lot of different types of professionals or works well in group settings. Um, I sit alone at my desk all day, but I'm really not working by myself. Right. So um, being a good team player and being um, a good communicator, I think are very important uh, attributes. And they're making 
suggest or suggesting edits to your work. So you have to be very open to their. Oh, yes. Yeah. You, sometimes I, that's hard at first. I bet. But. That's a good story. So the first edit that I ever did, um, I got an email like, you know, it's, it's kind of like a testing, like, you know, here's all our policies and this is how you actually format what right. you're supposed to do. And here's something that uh, I think, you know, you're familiar with this topic. Why don't you work on this and we'll review it um, during my training. And so I, I submitted, I spent a lot of time, you know, going through and I think I got it all nice and tied up and I can email back and say, Hey, you did a great job. And then I open it up and like 75% of it is red line. Oh my. <laughs> but that was good for them. They, yeah. they liked it. And a, a lot of it is, yeah, you don't take that personally. Right. It's not, you know, it's something that you say, Oh, well, you know, next time I do this, I have to word that this way. Right. Or, mm-hmm. you know, next time I do this, I should consider these other things that I wasn't considering before. Okay. And there's also a history. Sometimes things are in there because a customer requested it. And so, mm-hmm. um, there's always a reason why something is in the content usually. So, um, some of it is just learning the history. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. How long did it take you to, to feel like you had the routine down or you knew what they were looking for and and the edits started to decrease? So like how long are we talking six months? It hasn't happened yet. (laughs) I was going to say that. No, it's, it's, you definitely feel more comfortable with at least the style, but then there's always, um, I work with a lot of different providers. So there's a lot of different ways that people think about things. And there's even drugs that I work on that I'm not super comfortable with in practice. And so I'm deferring a lot to others experience. Mm -hmm. So I might throw something out there and be like, Hey, this is what I think I'm reading. Is this right? And maybe the answer is yes. And maybe the answer is absolutely not. Yeah. And so the the most important thing is just getting to the right answer and getting to the the truth behind what we're trying to say Mm -hmm. um, versus trying to be right. You know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of a thing that I think in all areas of pharmacy that needs to happen in practice, you don't want to um, always think that you need to be right. You got to do what's right for your patient or you got to do what's right for, you know, the, the institution you're working for. Right. Right. Um, so I think that's a, a similar thing, but it just happens after you've been in practice for 10 years and you kind of get used to and being like seen as, you know, a leader or an expert in your field to all of a sudden being like the most novice person and mm-hmm. getting your work torn apart all the time. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It, it, takes, hard. it takes some humility. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So we talked about some students maybe that would not enjoy this career path and that's <laughs> If you don't like your work to be critiqued or constant <laughs> feedback, um, what, is there anything else that we didn't talk about when you think about maybe somebody who shouldn't think about this career path? I think people who enjoy fast paced thinking. Okay. So uh, I think of, you know, my time, I loved critical care mm-hmm. and I liked being in the ICU or um, uh, working with patients. Even with diabetes, I got a lot of that. And so there's, there's a certain rush that you get when you get to make fast paced decisions mm-hmm. and be in that environment. Some, some, People don't like that environment. Some people really are drawn to that. And I think if people are really drawn to that, this may not be the best career path because again, my um, sort of uh, satisfaction from getting jobs done takes place six months after I right. started, <laughs> not six minutes. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, that's something that I think if, if you're really interested in critical care, that there is, um, you know, opportunities to get involved with this type of work. I mentioned consulting work mm-hmm. and that, um, but this, that's just something to, to double check yourself yeah. to make sure that's really what you're willing to leave. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're the type of person that has that checklist of items you have to do and you want to check them off at the end of the day, you're not going to check your projects off yeah. for months. Oh, you have a very, very long checklist. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. So that's, yeah, that's definitely something to think about. Well, I think you you gave us a lot of really great information. I think it's a very interesting career path that you took, you know, with the clinician educator and then moving into this role and an interesting career. I think it has a lot of pros and I think it's going to be exciting for our students to hear about it. It is a career exploration podcast. So we like to ask the guests 
what's your best career exploration tip or advice? This could be for the prospective students, the current students. We could have alumni that are listening. Yeah. What, what kind of advice do you have or tips do you have? Sure. Uh, it may sound a little cliche, but just definitely keeping an open mind about what you're exploring. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned near the beginning of this that my intention going into pharmacy was going into critical care and cardiology. And now I'm uh, working in medical writing right, <laughs> right, quite different. and so it's it's definitely different but um i think just that's kind of what got me to where i am today is mm-hmm. you know I, I went into residency wanting one thing and i ended up liking something else so i went with that when i got into my job i started as one thing and it ended up being something different um and just kind of following what i was passionate about i was fortunate to be able to do that um in my role but that's something i really would encourage um if you go into something thinking you want something else just make sure you're considering other options too because I never knew anything about even in pharmacy school. I never knew anything about residency. I didn't know anything about even really hospital pharmacy just because mm-hmm. I wasn't exposed to it. Okay. Um, so if you're really passionate about something, that's great. But make sure that um, if that may change over time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And be willing to follow that. Yeah. Excellent. And we've uh, heard that before. I have to say, this is a reoccurring theme that we're hearing this over and over again. So it's very important to point that out to the students, how important that is. It, it is. And you're absolutely right. I think we've, it, it is a, a reoccurring theme that, that we've heard before. And, and so there you go. So keep an open mind, everyone, right? So, uh, you know, the great thing about pharmacy school is, you know, we do a good job of exposing you to a bunch of different areas of pharmacy that you could pursue. Um, even, you know, I would even say medical writing is not an area that we really do a good job of exposing no, your students no, to. No, this is great. Yeah. This so really it is good. awesome. That, yeah. that we're doing this. Um, so we want to thank you for joining our podcast episode today. Just so I'm clear. So you're saying I should not be getting my medical advice from Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. <laughs> Is that correct? Is that what I'm hearing? I would suggest not. <laughs> okay. All right. Probably not. I'll stick. That's good advice. Yeah. I'll, I'll stick with the professional resources then. <laughs> <laughs> so again, thank you so much for joining our episode today. Uh, we hope that our, our listeners learned about a, a new area of pharmacy that they might not have learned about before mm-hmm. and hopefully might consider it in the future. Yes. And, and definitely work on your journal club skill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much for having me. It was fun. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to Northeast Ohio Medical University College of Pharmacy's Career Exploration Podcast. We're glad you were able to join us. If you like what you heard in this episode, please be sure to tune in to our next episode. Remember to check out our social media pages at NeomedCOP to submit questions for our upcoming guests. If you would like to learn more about Neomed's College of Pharmacy, we would love to talk to you. Visit www.neomed.edu slash pharmacy and click on pre-pharmacy to learn more or to check out the show notes for today's episode.